Welcome to Hope City Church, Melbourne, Australia. Stay tuned for another inspiring message by Pastor Andrew McGrath. Okay, why don't you open your Bibles to John 21. I'm going to talk to you today as we continue this series. Uh, Today I want to talk to you about being positioned for influence in the Seven Mountains. And I've got a great word for you today. It's full of revelation, so I trust that you really begin to press into what God has. It's so important that you have ears to hear because I'm mindful that people sat under the ministry of Jesus. Not that I'm Jesus, but I'm pretty close. (laughs) And uh, under the ministry of Paul and they fell asleep, they were offended. So it's not always, and it helps to have a good speaker, but it's not always who's sharing, it's often who's listening. So we have to have ears that hear what the Spirit is saying. And the Bible is a, is a book of mystery. It's not a textbook. It's an invitation to encounter. So I tell people when we're studying Scripture that every time you read the Gospels, and this is not what I'm preaching on, but every time you read the Gospels, it's an invitation to you to dive into that story and encounter Jesus in the same way. In fact, if you read a parable or a story, it's like a gateway. And so a lot of people read it as information and studying about God. And it is all that, but it's more than that. It's a doorway to encounter God in the exact same way and greater. It's an entryway into the things of God. So it's like a mystical book. Every chapter is an invitation to you to encounter God in the same way. Did you get that? It changes scripture, doesn't it? And so today as we read John 21, don't read it like you have before, but read it with this understanding that God wants to invite you to encounter him in the same way, because there's so much to scripture. As I've told you before, the Jews understood there were four levels to every scripture. And so as we unpack the scripture, have ears to hear what God is saying. And he's saying something today to you. Yeah? And even those listening today on podcast, those listening to the video, watching the video, we welcome you today. And even if you're hearing this days later, even years later, this is still a now word from God for you. And so we pray for everyone listening on live stream, those listening around the world, that God will encounter you today in a very, very unique and powerful way. Nothing's by chance with God. Many times I've turned on YouTube and I've just happened to come across a sermon and it's been a now word for me. God's like that, isn't he? He's so amazing. Probably because he's God. So have you got John 21? Okay, we're talking about position for influence. And before we get into John 21, you know, Jesus said that you're the light of the world. You are a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden, that... Every single believer is positioned for influence. There's no such thing as a a non-influential Christian. It's an oxymoron. The moment you get born again, the light of God comes, the wisdom of God, the very nature of God comes. And like Ben shared this morning, we are kings. We are are lords. We are rulers. We are to reign with him in all of the seven mountains. So it doesn't matter about your education. It doesn't matter about your background. God delights to take people that feel like they've got nothing to give. And that's why in the genealogies, 
See, when you read the genealogies, they look like they're quite boring. It says, you know, he begat here and he begat her. But amongst all the begats, you find people that don't belong in the begats. How did they get in? How do you sneak that one in, God? They're not a Jew, they're a Gentile, they're a woman, they're a harlot, they're this or that. God's telling us that no one's disqualified for inheritance. Inheritance is a big deal to God. They're all in there because God values inheritance. Every one of you are unique and highly called by God. doesn't matter where you feel like you are at this moment. You may be stuck in a place where you feel God can't use you. God called David out of the sheepfold, hidden away, despised by his family. They tried to make it so difficult for him ever to be called, but God was persistent. He will find you. Amen? So nothing's too hard for God. And that's a word for someone today. You feel like God could never use you. You're stuck. You're in a place where you feel like nothing can change. God's watching you. No doubt about it. And as you remain faithful, he will call you and empower you. So John 21, 1, this is an amazing story. Okay? So when I unpack this, don't say, well, how could that be true? Trust me that what I'm sharing is a reamer from God for you today. So John 21 one says, After these things, Jesus revealed himself. It was the third time, it says later on in the chapter, that Jesus revealed himself to his disciples. And he revealed himself at the Sea of Tiberias, which is also, it says, and in this way he showed himself. This Sea of Tiberias is the same sea that we call the Sea of Galilee, or the Lake of Gisenaret, or the Lake of Chinnereth. It's got a number of names, but the Lake of Gisenaret literally meant the Garden of Riches. So Jesus is revealing himself at the Garden of Riches or the Place of the Heart. This is what it was known as. So it gives us an idea that, that God's coming to reveal himself, or Jesus to re- coming to reveal himself at a deep place in our heart. He's coming to minister. It's a rich place. It's a place of encounter. This is the very place where Jesus healed, they think, about 18 of the 33 recorded miracles. Most of his teaching revolves around this very location that Jesus is about to reveal himself. So verse 2, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin. Isn't it good that Thomas made it? You may have unbelief and doubt and you think, well, you know, maybe God can't use me, but God can reach... The people that have the most unbelief and doubt, you may be thinking, I'm not so so sure about this whole Spirit of God thing. God can reach you. Yeah? Thomas the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, which is James and John, and two other unknown disciples. I think one was at least Andrew. (laughs) So seven disciples. Interesting, isn't it? Get in the boat. And Simon Peter, who is the leader, he says to them, I'm going fishing. Well, just as well he didn't take Andrew, they'd catch nothing. And they said to him, we are going with you also. So they went out and immediately they got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. Sounds like a Hope City Church men's trip, doesn't it? (laughs) Did I tell you about it? We spent... I worked out we spent about $1,500 that day. We went fishing last year. And I think we caught one fish. 
It's a very expensive fish. They went out and they caught nothing. That night, they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? And they said, no. So why don't you make some notes in your Bible or on your iPad, wherever you take notes. There's seven disciples here fishing all night and they caught nothing. It's a clue to us that as the seven mountain understanding begins to take shape, and it is beginning to take shape all around the world. It's not just in this church. It's breaking out everywhere. I'm hearing more and more people talk about it. This whole concept that Jesus wants to be Lord over every mountain in society. Not just Lord on a Sunday morning between 10 and 12, but his passionate desire is the fullness of the kingdom, the kingdom expression in every sector of society. Amen? Amen. I'm glad you're with me. But it says it will be dark when they start out in this season. In other words, we won't have all the answers. We won't have all the strategies. We won't quite know how it's going to happen. But they went out fishing, seven men, passionate about the kingdom. They'd caught a hold of, of the vision of God, but it was dark and there wasn't a whole lot of fruit. And I look around the world today and I see that. There's this passion rising in God's people, but it's dark. And we can't quite figure it out how it's going to happen. And there hasn't been a whole lot of fruit. The last time I looked, there's not too many cities where there is a fullness of the expression of the kingdom in every sector of society. Yeah. Not yet, anyway. So Jesus said, verse 6, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. How amazing. Just on the other side. So in this story, the net is a picture of the kingdom of God. You know, Matthew 13, 47, there's a parable about this. It says that the net is like the kingdom. Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a net. You want to read that scripture because it relates to this passage. Read it in your own time, Matthew 13, 47 to 50. So this net is the kingdom. And Jesus is saying, you've got to cast the net on the other side. These seven disciples, they're forerunners. And they've got to learn how to cast the kingdom net on the right side of the boat to catch fish. They're going to have to lay down all their previous understandings of how the kingdom works because we've been fishing on the wrong side of the boat. We've been loving God and loving the kingdom, but God's got a whole new expression that's about to take over the church. Amen? Is anyone excited about this like me? <laughs> I'm excited. It's just on the other side. It's not a long way away. It's not we've been doing anything wrong. We've got the right net. We've got the kingdom in us. But there's going to come a whole new expression. And it's just on the right side. And it's going to make all the difference. God has almost like dried up the fish because he wants us to reposition ourselves with a whole new understanding of what the kingdom truly is. Well, I've got bubbles inside. It's like I'm excited. Can you have bubbles? Holy Spirit bubbles? Sounds strange, doesn't it? See, on the right side of the boat, that's where the inheritance lies. We know in the Bible that 
right side is the side of favor. Sheep are on the right, goats on the left. It's a place of honor. Jesus said, sit at my right hand and I'm going to make all your enemies your footstool. Benjamin was the son of my... Yes, that's the right answer. Right hand. It's a side of favor. It's a side of inheritance. And we've been talking a lot that God is so passionate about inheritance, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that none would be lost. That all the inheritance that maybe our previous generation they sowed for is now going to be reaped in this generation. Things that my grandfather prayed year after year after year, hours and hours and hours of prayer and sowing and sowing. One waters and one reaps. One sows, one reaps. Generations have sowed. And right now, Jesus is saying there's a harvest coming that's going to be so big and so wonderful, but it's on the right side. And this is all going to be about taking the inheritance that belongs to the body of Christ. Are you excited? I'm excited. So keep reading with me. John 21 verse 7. Therefore, this disciple whom Jesus loved, which was Andrew and John, said to Peter, It is the Lord. Well done, Peter. Now he's starting to see. They couldn't see him before, but all of a sudden they're starting to see. Are you like that today? I'm beginning to see more. I'm beginning to see more about the seven mountains and the kingdom and God's purpose. And when Peter heard it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, his cozies, for he had removed it, and he plunged into the sea. But the other disciples, being of the other variety of churches, came in a, in a little boat, more conservative. For they were not far from the land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with a fish. The coming of Jesus Christ, so it's interesting that it says 200 cubits. And, you know, I, I think it's a picture that, that it's, they're very close to the shore. They're close to the end of the age. We know that Joshua talks about 2,000 2, cubits between the ark and the people. And now we've got 200, so there's a narrowing of time. And as Jesus is about to appear, the disciples begin to see more clearly. And I believe that this coming appearance of Jesus, there will be a massive spiritual input into the physical world. I'm so excited about this. That spiritual realms that are currently hidden in the body of Christ will be opened up. Paul wrote, he said in 2 Thessalonians 2.8, that there will be a manifestation of Jesus' appearance. Spiritual dimensions will be opened up. See, the spiritual world is, is not another world in another place up there. So I know a lot of people think about God up there, heaven up there. But we're going to begin to understand that the spiritual world is right here. This is interesting. I've got here the spiritual world is not another world in another place, but it's another dimension to the physical world that we observe. And that's why Jesus said the wind blows where it will. In other words, you can't see the wind, but it's in this dimension. And so God isn't up there. He's here. 
Are you getting this? And we're going to begin to discover, Jesus said, if you abide in me and I abide in you. In other words, there are two realms right next door to each other. In fact, the physical realm that we're in sits on top of this spiritual realm. And in these last days, we will see the spirit realm, like the disciples did, so clearly. That's why God appeared to Moses in a burning bush. He was saying, I am already here. I am in your realm. See, I believe that Jesus operated in both realms. The reason we pray in tongues, it's an invitation to speak in that realm and this realm. That we begin to be aware that there are two realms that coexist together, like the wind and the earth. It's already here. We just can't see it. So we can step in and out. That's how Jesus walked through the crowd. He just stepped into another realm. That's how God walked with Adam because the two realms coexist. The Holy Spirit hovered over the face of the earth. He was saying to us, I am here. I'm not there. I am here. I am here. Again, it's how Jesus walked in the water. I was saying to Karen, Jesus didn't, I don't believe, you may disagree, I don't believe he actually walked on the water. I believe he just walked in a dimension that was above the water. So he walked in his realm. That's why he appeared as a ghost. Because you don't walk on water because you sink. The moment you come out of the kingdom, of, out of the glory realm, you are in the physical realm. So Peter merely dropped out of the kingdom realm into the physical realm and sunk. You don't walk on water. Do you understand that? There's a spiritual realm that is all around us. So Jesus said, if you abide in me and I abide in you. So the two realms coming together. So we coexist in both realms together. And they're beginning to see Jesus as he truly is. They don't leave the physical. They just begin to embrace the spiritual. So that tells me all around me I'm able to step in and out all day aware that God is with us. And there's an invitation to live in both realms at both times. Not to leave. Enoch did that so often he left earth because he decided to be with him was better. But we're called to exist in both realms. That's how Elijah and Moses were able to appear with Jesus. They stepped into that realm. They appeared 2,000 or however many years ahead of time in their day. They didn't reappear later on. They just stepped into the eternal realm and appeared with Jesus while they were alive. And we'll begin to see things in the Spirit every single day. That's the answer to, to all the things. See, prophets aren't foretelling time. They aren't foretelling the future. They are merely revealing to people what already exists in, in the realm around us. We're, they are able to step into that realm and tell people who can't see what truly is going on. Oh, that all God's people were prophets. And so they are beginning to see in this day what truly is. Don't you want that? If you abide in me and I abide in you. In other words, if you live in both realms. You'll ask what you will and it shall be done. Hmm. It's very exciting. The two realms exist in parallel together. Verse 9. It's hot, isn't it? Then as soon as they came to the land, they saw a fire of coals there. Isn't God so good? I wrote about this, and this is not what I'm preaching about today, but that, that fire of coals was to take Pete... Peter back to the day that he denied Jesus. Memories. 
things that trigger our memories, things that have disappointed us, and God will come back and heal all those memories. And even today, he wants to heal memories, things that you've done in the past that have got a hook inside you. He was set free that day from memories by the coals of the fire. And in the morning, when the rooster crows, isn't it interesting that Jesus comes in the morning when the roosters crow with a fire? It's very kind, isn't he? And he put fish and bread on And Jesus said, bring some of the fish which you've caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to the land full of large fish. A hundred and fifty-three. Nothing's random with God. You should know that. A hundred and fifty-three fish. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. Don't you love that? Large fish. A hundred and fifty-three. It's claimed, I don't know if it's true, but it's claimed that the Gospels record 153 individuals that have specific, unique encounters with God. Sorry, with Jesus. What else is really interesting, the Hebrew phrase, Beni Ha Elohim. I know you're familiar with that phrase. <laughs> when you think about it, Beni is his sons, like Bar or Beni, his sons. Sons of God has the numerical value of, you guessed, 153. Isn't it interesting? They come out of the place of God's heart, the garden of his rich delight, and they come into this net, the revelation of the kingdom of God in its fullness. The sons of God with one purpose. They all come from different places into one net. Are you getting this? The sons of God, sons and daughters, okay? Sons and sons and daughters. It's a generic term. The sons of God in their maturity come together in this final hour with kingdom understanding of the times. How amazing. Does that amaze anybody? The fish are large. They're fully grown, mature. Do you remember, and I'm probably just, just for a second, re going over something I shared a while ago, but Luke 11.5 has been a scripture that's really stirred my heart. You know the story, and you'll see Andrew repeating yourself, but there's a reason. I want you to get it. Do you remember when Jesus tells a story about a friend who goes at midnight to his friend's house, and he knocks on the door, and he says, I want three loaves. For a friend of mine has come from a far place on a journey, and I've got nothing to give him. And the man from within says, go away, don't trouble me. I'm in bed with my children, too tired, too hot, too cold, go away. But the man keeps knocking on the door. I want three loaves of bread for my friend. Remember how I said it's a picture of the Holy Spirit preparing the sons and daughters of God. Three loaves is a picture of maturity. You know, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Because it goes on in this passage to say, ask and you'll receive, seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be open." So it's the fullness of those expressions, but asking, seeking, knocking, salvation, sonship, and spiritual dominion. So he says, I, I, want, I want the fullness of that to give to my friend that's coming, my friend that's coming from heaven called Jesus. And he's coming, I want something to give him when he comes. And the bride in the bed don't want to give it to him because they're, they're with their children, which is their future. They're, they've got their life planned out. They've got their next holiday planned out and their next overseas trip. 
But the Holy Spirit keeps knocking. He says, no, I want, I want something to give the son. He's persistent. And that's what he's doing. He's raising up sons and daughters in the fullness of the revelation of the kingdom. And they're going to come together in one final kingdom expression. Isn't that amazing? Veal, yeah. uh, many of you know him, Adam and Adrian. He writes about this story and he says 153 to him. He broke it down. He says, Holy Spirit, what are you saying about 153? And to him, he said, 120 is a picture of waiting. You know, Noah uh, waited for 120 years. And he said, 30 is the time to reign, which is a picture of Joseph. He came to reign at the age of 30. And three is fullness or resurrection power. And when you put those three together, you, you see that the church has been in a period of waiting but now is the right time to reign in the fullness of his resurrection power. So this story is telling us something that as Jesus comes and he appears, just as he comes to appear, the church are going to get this massive revelation of what God is doing in this final hour. Our eyes will be open. Speaking of Joseph, he was a forerunner. Whenever we talk about the seven mountains and seeing Joseph is, is such a picture to us. These seven d- disciples in the boat were forerunners. Joseph was a forerunner. Joseph was called at the age of 17. 17 is the number of victory. And in the last days, the sons of God, and Joseph is a picture of the sons of God. He's a forerunner. He's a a man that's marked with victory. And in the end days, what will be known over the church is a victorious church, an overcoming church, a fruitful church. Our net will be full. And Joseph is a picture of this. 17, victory, fullness. So amazing. 17, think about it. So Joseph is called at 17. He's a forerunner. I'm I'm picking, I'm pulling this together. Um, E.W. Bullinger, who was the master of numbers in Scripture, he says that 17 is made up of two two prime spiritual numbers, 10 and 7. Really interesting because 10 is physical perfection. 10 fingers, 10 toes. Yeah? And 7 is spiritual perfection. It's a picture of the kings and priests. This is what Joseph was when he was called. He was called to spiritual and Physical perfection. What did I talk about before? The two realms operating in the realm of the kingdom, the, the, the realm of glory, but also manifesting that here on earth. Amen. Are you getting this? Yeah. And this is what's going to happen. We're going to be in the sea like never before. I thought it was really interesting because when you add up all these numbers, one, two, three, four, five, up to 17, the total is 153. Isn't that amazing? So all these codes that God left in Scripture, because 17 is the number of victory. He's he's linking Joseph with what is happening in this time in John chapter 21, that we will come into a time of incredible victory. So I say to you, 
that there is a revealing of the sons of God, a forerunning church that will come together, that will begin to call the sons of God together. They're going to come out of this ocean of humanity. They'll rise up in maturity, in the fullness of God. There will be an expression of the kingdom in these last days where we will see Jesus as he truly is. We will understand his heart and we will know his mind. Amen? Amen. Give God a hand. God has been preparing the church for influence. Romans 8.13 says, The sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. And these disciples have been in a boat and have been difficult and have been challenging. But I want you to know today, as we position ourselves for influence, first you need to understand that we are called, there's an appearing of the sons of God in this hour. Make no doubt about it. There is an appearance now of a new breed of believers. But secondly, you need to know that there may be an appearing, but there's also been a preparation that's been going on. It's been a testing time to prepare us to occupy the level we are called to lead and influence. What has all the testing been about in your life? It's been preparing you to occupy the level that you are called to influence. Nothing is without, without, without doubt. No, there's no chance when it comes to God. Everything you've been through is positioning you for influence. It says of Joseph in Psalm 105.17, listen to this. God sent a man before them. God did. God's been behind the testing. He hasn't afflicted you, but he's positioned you to increase you. Joseph was sold as a slave. What was he? A slave. They afflicted his feet with fetters. They laid him in irons until the time the word came to pass, that his word came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. Verse 20, then the king sent. God sent, now the king sent. And he released him, the ruler of peoples, and he set him free. He made him lord of his house. Your soul is a slave. And now he's Lord of the house and ruler over all his possessions. See, what you've been going through is because the enemy sees what is about to take place. The affliction on Joseph was because the enemy knew that God was going to reposition him to be Lord over the house. And all the testing that was, was the enemy getting a glimpse of the unfolding of God's plans and purposes. You are encountering opposition because of what's coming at the next level. See, the storms on the Lake of Galilee in Matthew 8, and I believe uh, chapter 14, was because there was opposition on the other side. That's what it was about. The storms that were mounting and gathering wasn't to sink the boat uh, so much as that, 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 that the enemy did not want the disciples to get to the other side because they knew what was on the other side. You need to understand the opposition today is not about today, it's about tomorrow. That's what it's about. The enemy knows that, that your destiny is great to influence. You're not a slave, you're called to be a lord. And that's what it's about. We get so locked into today, but there's a bigger picture at hand. I'm not fighting battles over today, I'm fighting battles over tomorrow. 
And when I feel like I'm going through stuff, I have to remind myself there is a bigger picture. It's not just about me. There are personal breakthroughs, but they are small in comparison to the corporate breakthroughs that are behind this opposition. A slave to a Lord. Sounds good, doesn't it? So many people regulate, and I read this, quote, many people regulate themselves to the lowest version of themselves that they can accept rather than the highest version of themselves that they can imagine. And Joseph could have just regulated himself down to the lowest version of survival. And so often we do that. This is, this is, this is what I can accept. I can't accept not eating. That would be bad. But I can accept just getting by. So you regulate your faith level to that level of getting by. You regulate your life into a place of survival. But not Joseph. He, he began to cause his life to be focused around the size of his dream, the highest version of himself that he could imagine. And that was the Lord of the house. You need to understand that this opposition isn't, isn't supposed to cause you to get into a fetal position and be in survival mode. But in that, in that opposition, you had to rise up and begin to imagine the greatest version of yourself. Amen? Woohoo! What does the greatest version of me look like? Oh. What does it look like? What does it look like? What does the greatest version of you look like? It's enormous. And this opposition is because the enemy knows sometimes better than the people of God what the greatest version of themselves looks like. Whereas we have regulated ourselves down to the lowest version that we can accept. But no more. Joseph, he was positioned for greatness. Because he knew that God was preparing him for a life of incredible influence. My mountains are calling and I must go. There are people in high places that are crying for me, even this day. They don't know it's me, but that's what they're crying for. The answers of the kingdom that I carry within me, and they're crying for you. High places, you're called. And I keep telling you this every week because I believe it to be true. From the youngest to the oldest, you're called. And God's going to position you for greatness and influence. I will not allow my children to think small. That's why I often go around the table. Right, tell me. What is it that you're going to be when you leave school? Not too small. I would encourage them to think big. I'm onto them. Don't waste your life like I did when I was your age. Get an opportunity from God. Don't regulate yourself down to the lowest version of yourself that you can just tolerate, but the highest version of yourself that you can imagine. Because you're called to influence nations. And part of the preparation was to be sensitive to the timings of God. And there was a moment in time that Jesus spoke and said, cast your net to the other side. And that was their moment to move. And in this hour, God's been preparing his people 
to be sensitive to the timings of God, to know when to step in and to step out. I love this scripture, John 7, 5. It's the brothers of Jesus did not believe in him. It's tough, isn't it? When those closest to you can't see what you see. And Jesus said to them, because they were saying to Jesus, go and show yourself. Reveal yourself to all the people. If you say who you are, come with us and reveal yourself. And Jesus said, my time hasn't come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. What was Jesus saying? He was saying that the world is always out of time. And I'm always in time. Your time is always. You can go whenever you like. Why? Because you're always out of time. It doesn't matter. But for me, timing is everything. Yeah. And part of this preparation has been to know the timing and the seasons of God, when to step in, when to step out. To learn protocol, to know when I'm around people, what to say, when to say it, how to say it. The timings of God, hearing the voice of God, to be led by the Spirit of God. Your greatest cry, one of your greatest cries should be, God, lead me today by your Spirit. Cause me to know the timings. Instead of Joseph, uh, sorry, of uh, Noah in Genesis 6, 9. This is the genealogy of Noah. He was a just man, perfect in his generations. Or in the generations means the revolutions of time. Noah walked with God. That word walk means he kept pace or he was in time with God. He lived in a generation where everybody was out of time with God. But there was one man who walked step by step with God. And because he walked in time, he was the answer to that generation. God positioned Noah for influence. Would you agree? Finally, I want to share with you today We've been through the test. We've been through those seasons of darkness and, and God has been preparing us. But now I want to say over you today prophetically that God is positioning you right now for your greatest time of influence. Amen? Yeah. A lot of you have been through hell and back, being tested, you've been tried, and you've been found to be faithful. You're still here. You still believe. You're the polystyrene man and woman. You've been pushed down, but you keep popping back up. You've outlasted the devil. See, when we pray, the persistent widow, the prayer isn't teaching us to persist with God. It's to outlast the enemy. That's the thing. You wear him out by your constant faith. Because he doesn't have patience as a virtue. It comes from God. So God is calling you to operate in your mountain, and it's right now. All right, Psalm 105, we're on our the home stretch, verse 20. The king sent and released Joseph. See, there is a day. There is a day that you appear. There's a day. There is a day. I'm out of bondage. There's a day where you begin to see like you've never seen before. The ruler of God's people, sorry, the ruler of the people, let him go free. And Pharaoh made him lord of his house, the ruler of all his possessions. What a transformation. You think about it, this wasn't, you know, this wasn't one of the Australian prisons with colour TV and, you know, a billiard table and, and all the, the nice it is. This was a rat infested, plague infested hellhole. 
And he goes from that to ruler of all of Pharaoh's possessions. He, he, by his authority, he could bind the princes at his pleasure. He spoke and everyone in authority had to listen bar Pharaoh. That's authority. That's influence in the mountains. At the moment, the church speaks. No one listens at the moment. It's changing. But God's people will have influence in business, in government, in education, in every realm. You are called to speak with influence. These days of small thinking are over. Petty, penny-pinching. He spoke and bound the princes, and he taught his elders wisdom, the wisdom of God for this hour, to be our problem solver. Acts 7, 17. A lot of sevens in Acts 7. Seven men full of the Holy Ghost. When the time of promise drew near, Stephen is talking about the history of Israel. God had sworn to Abraham, which God had sworn to Abraham. The people grew and multiplied in Egypt till another king rose who did not know Joseph. I want to say to you today that influence always comes through proximity. When the king didn't know Joseph, it was hell for God's people. When Joseph and the king were together, it was heaven. And the goal of the church is not to scrubble and fight and grovel in the dirt. It's to pray for God to raise up men and women full of the Holy Ghost that will influence kings. That's why he says pray for kings and all those in authority. Why? Because as the king goes, so the kingdom. As you pray for those in authority, they are the ones that, that call in what is established. So the Bible says if you cast out seven demons, think about it. If the house is not occupied, they all come back stronger. So if we war against all the principalities and powers in Melbourne, but we have no influence with those in authority, they all just come back. And worse, we have to be wise. Those that rule the mountains rule the city. They take authority over the strongholds. We say what comes in, what goes out. That's why it was a big deal when God's people at times took the idols of their foreign countries with them. Think about it. Ponder. Last scripture, I believe, almost last scripture. You ready? Luke 10. So God is calling you to operate in your mountain, your sphere. Listen to this. This is great. This is amazing. Then Jesus said, the harvest is great, but the laborers are few. Pray the Lord of the harvest to thrust out laborers into the harvest. That's the deal. We're praying today for people like you to go up there and influence. That's what we pray. Light on the hill. City on a hill. Lord, raise up men and women, young people, full of the Holy Ghost, that will go out into the harvest, into the tops of the mountains, and establish you as Lord and Savior, the one with the answers. See, it's, that's what it's about. Who has the answer for the nation? Who understands the design and the inheritance of the nation? Every nation, Deuteronomy says, has a calling and inheritance. And I'm skipping a bit here. 
But that is exactly why there is a blurring. Listen, don't lose this. There is a blurring of boundaries in nations today. That is why the enemy is bringing people from different nations. And I don't mean there shouldn't be immigration. Don't mishear me. But there is a blurring now of cultures because the enemy wants us to lose the inheritance and the divine calling of specific nations, their culture and their values. So there's a blending, blending of identity. Because it's in the purity of our identity that the nature of God is revealed in all its fullness. Deuteronomy actually says that God had set up angels. Let me get you the scripture, in case you don't believe me. Deuteronomy 32, 7. They're assigned to every nation to establish the boundaries. So when the boundaries are broken, the enemy floods in. I don't know why I talked about that, but it was good. So pray the Lord to go out into the harvest, send laborers out into the harvest that will establish perimeters and boundaries and protection. So you understand, I'm not saying that people shouldn't immigrate. You hear that, don't you? Yeah? yeah? Don't mishear me. What I was saying is that, that we must guard and protect the culture and identity of every nation. Every nation is pure and, and called by God and valued by God, whether it's Malaysia, Africa, China. They are, it, it, there is an identity and a calling for that nation that must be nurtured and protected. Every city has that. So call for the laborers to go in the harvest. Go your way. I send you out as lambs amongst wolves. Carry neither money, bag, knapsack, sandals. Greet no one on the road. And it sounds like you're saying, I'm going to send you out to do my work and you're going to have nothing. <laughs> All the best. See you when you come back. And so we did that. We sent missionaries out with used tea bags. <laughs> Off you go. Fulfill the word of the Lord. Jesus said you'd have nothing. You don't have one change of clothes. See you later. Come back when you die. You said, no, no, my assignment comes with my provision. You don't need to worry about where you go, where I send you. I'm going to give you the wisdom, the resources, the provision. Don't get caught up with having to get it all worked out. I'm going to be with you everywhere you go in this assignment. Some of you think, how could I get to the top there? How could I be an influencer? Don't worry about it. You go where he sends you. He is with you. And whatever house you enter, this is really important. Don't miss it. Whatever house you enter, these are mountains. These are mountains. These houses are callings. These are assignments. Whatever mountain you enter, say peace to the mountain. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it returns to you. Remain in that mountain, that house, eating and drinking, whatever they give you. For the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not go from house to house. Do not go from mountain to mountain. Go to the sphere, the mountain that recognizes your calling. Your anointing, it will embrace you and reward you. When God calls you to a mountain, it will embrace you and reward you. And then you say, peace to the house. This, this word peace is to set it place, to set it one, harmony. It's, it's, it's all about making right, solving problems. So when you come to the mountain, you say, peace. I'm a problem solver. I've got the wisdom of God. We're speaking to the mountain and say, it's okay now. Your father's here. I'm going to nurture and love you. I'm going to release the wisdom of God to my workplace, to the mountains that I'm called to. This is what he's saying. Quite amazing. Notice the phrase here, sons of peace. That tells me there are mountains waiting to be fathered. Did you hear that? 
They will say, in the mountain is the son of peace. And they're calling out for fathers who will father them in their calling. We have business people that, that have a gift from God, but they've never been fathered. They don't know the wisdom of God. They don't know how to release resources. They've relied on greed and corruption and manipulation. And God is raising up men and women that will father that realm. That's what you're called to. You're called to father and mother mountains. Love them like a father would. Hold them in your arms. Pray over them. Those that God puts on your heart, nurture them in your prayer life. Call them into yourself and pray God's will be done. Give me wisdom to pray. Connect me with the right people. Cause me to father this realm. Notice the sons of peace need to be fathered. And they will receive the victory of their father's breakthrough. And that's what I bring. I bring breakthrough in these realms. And as I father you in this, and as you honor me, you will receive a word from me that will unlock your provision. And these mountains will recognize you as a father. They will honor you, and your victory will become their victory. All the battles you've been through is to establish a victory in your life so when you father the sons, that victory becomes their victory. That's what the wilderness was about with Jesus when he, he fought the enemy. That victory in, in Jesus became victory for everyone that he fathered. Are you getting this? Verse 8, this is the last verse. So whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat the things that are set before you. Heal the sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. God's calling us to cities. He's called you the city of Melbourne. It's sick. It needs to be healed. And you're going to bring the kingdom to the city. Amen? Amen? Your heart should burn with passion for the city. It should be like a raging fire. It should pull like Jesus over Jerusalem, like a mother with its hand. You pull it into your heart. And you say, the kingdom of God has come. And I will be the expression of the wisdom of God. I'm going to be the expression of the kingdom of God to this city. This is my city. Joseph was a king and a priest. He operated in the realm of the spirit and he saw over the, over the city. He saw over the kingdom. And he operated as a king and he administered the wisdom of God to a city. God is positioning you today for incredible influence. And you just got to believe it. You just got to believe it. Say, thank you, God. I'm an influencer. Build, build, build. Build, build, build. Expand, expand, expand the version of you that you have. Allow the testings of God to expand you so you begin to see the big picture that I'm called in an apostolic calling to reach this city. And God, as, as the appearance of Jesus comes, we're going to cast the net onto the right side and catch a whole lot of sons and daughters of God, mature. We're going to father the city and maturity. Uh, it's going to be a mature expression of the kingdom of God in this city. Amen? Amen. Called to influence. You are called to influence. You are called to influence. Did you hear me, young girls? 
called to influence. I don't care what the voices say inside your head. They're lies. I've told you before and I'll tell you again. Whatever the devil says about you, reverse it 180 degrees and there's the truth. If he says you're a loser and you can't do it, it means you're a winner and you will do it. He's very helpful. He really is because he's the father of lies. And the opposite of lies is truth. He is one of your greatest helps. Whatever he says, reverse and it's true. Thank you so much. Keep telling me the truth about my life. Keep spewing your lies and your accusation and I'll just reverse it and walk in victory. And eventually he stops lying to you because he realizes he's actually helping you. And all the garbage he said over you is not true. It's not true. It's not true. It's rubbish. It's limiting rubbish. God's called you to influence, influence, influence. You walk with your head held high. As you walk down the street, you release the kingdom. You operate in two realms, in the realm of the glory, as you wait upon the Lord and you just worship him and experience his presence, him in you and you in him, his world here, my world in him, the two collide. There's an expression of his world in my world every day. I'm looking to release his world to this world. Amen? Amen. So why don't you raise your hands today? Called to influence. In Jesus' name. Right now, the Holy Spirit is here. He's enlarging you. Who, me? Yes, you. You're called to influence. Some of you, I can see now the Holy Spirit has given you words to say, but you've been afraid. You're nurturing a false self because what you've been protecting is not really you. You're afraid of what people might think of you, but that's not you anyway. That's a, that's a facade that you try to protect. And God, is, there's a, a man on my right that God is speaking to right now, and I don't want to embarrass you, so I won't point you out, but God is saying it's time to speak. I've given you wisdom. I've given you compassion. And I'm going to promote you if you will open your mouth and speak. And you'll even see this week that the Holy Spirit will begin to agitate you because you will see things because you're called to father. You're called to father your workplace and you see people in desperate need and you've remained silent. Yes, you've loved them and been kind, but God's given you wisdom to speak to them. There's a word of the Lord that's coming to your mouth that will be the key to their victory. And he says, open your mouth and I will fill it. And I will call you to be a father. There are many people here that, that God is stirring their hearts about fathering and mothering their mountain, their workplace, their schools, their streets. And even right now, if you will open up your heart, there will come a fresh deposit of the ability to father and mother. So just reach out your hands now. And Father, I pray for an apostolic anointing, the capacity to pull in children under their, under their realm, their guard, to nurture, protect. I ask in Jesus' name that, Lord, their breakthroughs will become their sons and their daughters' breakthrough. I ask in Jesus' name. There will, be, there will come a fierce desire, I prophesied today, to defend those under your care. There will be like a holy 
like an indignation over what the enemy's doing, and you'll begin to prophesy and break the chains because God has placed these people under your care and your authority. And as you begin to speak, chains will be dismantled and broken as you stand in your authority as a father and a mother over the realms that God has called you. Do not say, I am too young, for God came to Jeremiah and says, I've given you a word to speak that will root out and pluck out and build and plant. Do not say that I cannot speak that I am too young, for I have called you. I have called you to see what I see. And I will put your, my words in your mouth and you will begin to dismantle and build by the Spirit, God says today. And do not say I am too young. Do not say that I am not equipped. For God would come to you today and says, if not you, who else can I send? If you will not go, who will I send? And his Spirit would cry out today that many of you be thrust into places of importance and you just can't see it. But God's going to open your eyes to see that you are one encounter away of significant change both in your life and in those around you. So I pray now, Father, Lord, open the eyes of the blind. Cause our ears to hear and our eyes to see. Even Jesus, as you went throughout the Gospels, healing the blind, cause us to see in your realm now. Cause us to feel and to see in Jesus' name. I say, church, you are positioned to influence And the mountains need you. Thank you, Lord. So we say like the prophet, here I am I. Send me. Send me, Lord. Send me to the mountains. Thank you for your calling. And I will go. And I thank you for a spirit of boldness. That's the last thing I want to pray about. The Lord dropped that on my heart this week. Boldness to speak. The fear of man is a snare. And your bold words will bring breakthrough and elevate you to places that nothing else can. It will be a word of wisdom, but spoken with boldness. It will cause you to operate outside of even your own current dimension. So, Father, cause people to be bold. Cause them to speak what you place on their hearts. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Just, Just lift up your hands once more. I pray that over this month, such a clarity would come to the mountains and the the assignment and sphere that you've called each person to operate in. Let there be an understanding, such a clear understanding, a passion that rises up. Even as they read the news and they observe what's going on, things begin to trigger in their hearts and they would know they will not go to house to house. They'll find a place that you've called them to nurture in Jesus' name.